Is that it? Yes. Revelation chapter 13 is where we're at today as we continue to make our way through the book of Revelation. It's funny, I've had a couple conversations over the last few weeks of people that have either visited the church or have recently started coming here or whatever, and, and just saying that uh, how much they enjoy going verse by verse. And I, I, I say, I just love it. I, I love just studying the Word, um, and especially when it comes to a book like Revelation. That uh, Revelation is an intimidating book for most people, but when you study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, it makes sense. I mean, I'm hoping you guys find that as well, that as we've been going along so far, it's not as overwhelming as people think. It's not as terrifying or hard to understand. It really makes sense. Um, But when you chop it up or you only take a piece here or there, it it becomes very confusing. So uh, as we continue on, uh, last week we looked at chapter 12. And chapter 12 kind of begins a new section where John... uh, Though he's having the revelation, which is a vision of its own, he also begins to see a great sign in heaven. And it'll actually, it started last week, is one of seven signs that he'll see or talk about over the next few chapters. And in chapter 12, he, he begins to give this sign. And because it's called a sign, we know that it is a type or a picture. It's symbolic, right? It's, it's made clear to us that it's a sign. So it talks about a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, a garland of 12 stars. We know this is not a literal woman. In fact, it's pointing back to Genesis chapter 37, where Joseph had a dream. And in the dream, his mother and father were the sun and the moon, and his brothers were the stars. And so it's the patriarchs of Israel, the woman that John sees is a picture of Israel. In fact, it's a big picture of Israel's history and future all together. And it, it, it goes pretty quick. It just John just hits a few of the high points. Uh, it talks about that this woman, again in chapter 12, that this woman is uh, going to have a child and that he will rule the world with a rod of iron, speaking of Jesus. Jesus had to come through Israel. He also sees a fierce, fiery red dragon, which is very clearly told to us uh, later on in chapter 12 that that is the devil. And he desires to kill that child. He is planning on it, waiting for it to be born. And then it was, the child is taken away and ascends into heaven. So again, we get this big picture of Israel's past. The patriarchs, Jesus' arrival, Jesus' ascension, where he is without a doubt king of kings enthroned with God. And then it, all of a sudden it jumps to the future of Israel. So it skips this whole time that we're in now, the church age, goes from Jesus' ascension to the devil attacking heaven and, and raging after the woman, wanting to, to, to kill her where she is taken away and kept safe in a certain place. And it, so this goes right to the midpoint of the tribulation. This is where we're at chronologically here in Revelation. One of the, I think, the most important things that we looked at, it's true in the tribulation and it's true in our day today that the enemy and all of his raging against Jesus Christ and the people of Jesus Christ, not only Israel, but Israel's offspring, that's us, 
the Gentiles. The devil is overcome by three things. Blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and that we do not love our lives unto death. Man, those three things disarm the enemy completely. He's got nothing to hold over us. He's got nothing to come against us, nothing to make us feel guilty about, no temptation that can sway us. But these are the same things that our own flesh and the enemy try and tell us aren't that valuable. Oh, you don't have a testimony to share. Nobody really cares about what you, how you came to the Lord or, or how you grew up or even what he's doing in your life right now. Don't tell anybody about that. And too often we go, yeah, it's probably true, right? The blood of the lamb, we go, well, it's important, but that's kind of like for everybody. And again, we kind of downplay the importance of it. The word of our testimony and even not loving life uh, or this world with our, with our life unto death, um, we know that heaven is our home. But again, it isn't with that idea of like, you can let this whole world burn. It doesn't affect me because my, my home is in heaven, right? There's a big difference between going, oh, someday it'll be, I'll be safe and we'll be in heaven and going, no, that's my home. That's the place I represent. I am a representative of heaven right here in this place today. Right? And so it, it's, it changes our focus and it changes how we approach life and how we live for the Lord. So chapter 13 is going to go on and he's going to continue to, to talk about these signs, these symbols and imagery that are conveying much bigger ideas. So let's pray one more time and we'll get into chapter 13. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the power that's in your word. And we want to have ears to hear today and hearts to receive. We pray that you would just by your Holy Spirit teach us your word. Show us how these things apply. Show us what things in our lives you want to work in and change. And we just submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So chapter 13, starting in verse 1. John says, And then I stood on the sand of the sea. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave him authority, or excuse me, who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and all those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose name has not been written in the book of life of the Lamb since the foundations of the world. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience 
and the faith of the saints. That was a lot in that big chunk there of about 10 verses, but uh, there was no good place to break that. It just all is flowing together. So we're going to take this chapter in two big chunks today. John is watching or has been watching all these things unfold. If you remember, he starts off on the island of Patmos where the Lord appears to him in a glorified state. And then, after talking about the seven churches, he is whisked away into heaven. And from there, he's been giving the rest of the revelation thus far from the throne room of God, from the the very tabernacle that is in heaven where God's throne is. But now in chapter 13, he finds himself suddenly standing on the sand of the sea and uh, has this Again, another picture of a great beast rising up out of the sea. Uh, Remember last week, one of the visions was of this fiery red dragon having seven heads, ten horns, and on top of uh, each horn was a crown. This isn't what the devil looks like, but this is a description of his character and of his motive, of his personality, that he is ferocious and murderous. And that the authority he has is one that he has stolen. Those crowns were not given to him by God. He has stolen them, right? It is a usurped authority, which is why he wants to kill or wanted to kill the child as soon as it was born. But here uh, in chapter 13, we see another beast, very, very similar in some ways. There are big differences, but there's some very important similarities. This beast also has seven heads, ten horns, and ten crowns uh, because he is so connected to the devil. So chapter 12 gives us this picture of the devil's character, and now we get a picture of this beast, which, as we'll see, is the character or description of the Antichrist. Well, the... uh, dragon is described and really it's a description that shows he has absolutely no redeemable qualities there isn't anything to to redeem in in the devil he is lost and in some of the same ways this guy the antichrist is in the same boat he will not be redeemed he will not be saved nor does he want to be right in daniel chapter 7 Uh, there's a great description of the same beast. And we're not going to go there. There's so many things. It's like, man, we could spend a ton of time in all of these other areas. Uh, But then the book of Revelation would last like five years. And and so I encourage you guys to write these down, study them for yourselves. If you have any questions, of course, I always love to talk about uh, any questions afterwards, or you can text them to me. Uh, But in Daniel chapter 7, this beast is described. And looking at here in Revelation 13 and Daniel 7, uh, there's no doubt that this is a description of the Antichrist. And this guy is pure evil. Like I said, he doesn't want to be redeemed. He's going to come across as being somebody that's loving and caring and kind. And people will buy into it for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. The world is going to love this guy even though he will be waging war against Israel and war against the followers of Christ at the midpoint of the tribulation. 
Maybe not until then. That's the only place that we see it really starting to intensify, really starting to go down, is the middle point of the tribulation is where his personality changes. The, the mask is lifted, and Israel realizes this guy is not the Messiah. He is the Antichrist. Jesus is the Messiah, and they get it. But this guy is waging war. And uh, to the rest of the world, he's going to seem like a hero. Strong, wise, charismatic, spiritual, maybe even righteous in their eyes. But verse 2 tells us where all of that comes from. It says that his power, his throne, and his great authority have been given to him by the dragon, by the devil himself. So this isn't a self-made man. He may appear to be that way to everybody else, but his power and authority and throne are demonic at its core. And it explains the similarity between this beast that's described and the dragon that's described because they're so connected. In fact, it may be that the Antichrist at this point in the tribulation is fully possessed by the devil. Completely taken over. Again, that's just an idea, but whatever it is, this guy is going to be the worst person that has ever existed. And we've had some pretty bad ones. You look back in world history, and there's some pretty bad people out there. They will pale vastly in comparison to this one. Now, there's something interesting. And again, we don't fully understand this. Verse 3 says that one of the heads of this beast has been mortally or fatally wounded. And the whole world will marvel that his mortal wound was healed. Um, This guy's going to appear to come back from the dead. And again, we don't don't understand that. This is just a little picture to us of that there's going to be something so miraculous. Not only is he going to seem to be a political leader and a uh, spiritual leader to some degree, but he's going to appear to come back from the dead. And people are going to marvel about it. They're going to be in shock about it. Now, a little bit more about Daniel's description in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has a vision of four animals. And they are all pictures of the great kingdoms of the world. Okay, And we know this, not from so much of Daniel's vision, but his description there. And then we're looking back on history and go, oh yeah, that's a perfect description of this empire and that empire. And so the first animal uh, that he sees is a lion, which describes the Babylonian empire. And then a bear, which is the Medo-Persian empire. And then a leopard, which was a Greek empire. And then there is a fourth creature. And Daniel describes it as being dreadful and terrifying. That it has a likeness of the previous creatures, the previous animals, um, but that he is he's terrifying. And this is the final rule of the Antichrist. The last kingdom of earth. That in fact, it's the first kingdom that will encompass the earth. A lot of people have tried. A lot of people have talked about it. This one will do it. He'll bring all of mankind under one government, under one flag, and it'll be the last kingdom of the earth. Or the last kingdom of man upon the earth might be a better way of saying it. Um, People are going to be enamored with this guy. They're going to know, to some degree, 
He's the beast. They're going to worship him. And they're going to worship the dragon who gave him his power. Now, again, we go, well, I find that hard to believe that, that people would go, well, okay, we know that there's something evil here, but hey, let's worship this guy anyway. But he's going to seem to do things that no one else could do. And as we go on, we're going to find that he's actually pointing to the devil himself going, hey, this is where I get my power from. And we go, would people really do that? I believe, yeah. And I think it's in a subtler way than, than we think when people go, oh, you know what? The whole idea of the devil, that's silly. It's just a power that we're tapping into. It's just this ancient power that wants to help mankind, and we've resisted it for all this time. Pretty easy to sell, especially when you've got a bunch of people that are lost and broken. The world's been in chaos, and this guy brings it all back together for them. And they're going to worship him like a god, and they're going to worship the beast who gives him his power. Um, but it's interesting, verse 5 tells us that, that this power and this authority, though it is supernatural in nature and it's from the devil, completely demonic, it's only allowed to be given to him for 42 months, three and a half years, the last half of the tribulation. Now, he's evil the whole time, but he's kind of been doing things on his own playing politics, looking great on the first half, making friends. But in the second half, everything changes. And he becomes empowered by the devil. And he is, there's a time limit on the power that he has. In the second half of the tribulation, it's a whole new level of evil. Speaking terrible blasphemies. Speaking great things against God and waging war on the people of God. He's going to stop hiding who, he's, who he is. And man, again, the world is still going to love this guy. They're going to, and again, I don't think it's hard to see. They're going to blame the world's problems on Christians. <laughs> Christians are the enemy. They're the problem. People are getting saved. Israel getting saved. 144,000. The two witnesses that we saw in Jerusalem. They're the problem. If these guys were gone, we'd be fine. And the world's going to rally behind the Antichrist in order to bring them, to bring us, our or other believers, to an end. Now, there's this interesting word of warning and word of encouragement, and it depends on who's hearing it to which one it means. In verses 9 and 10, it says, If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. The meaning is really pretty simple. That whatever you're doing, God is going to make sure justice is served. Now to the believer in the tribulation, that's a comfort. They're like, we're not buying into this fallen world. We're not following the Antichrist. We'd rather lose our lives than hold back our testimony. And God is telling them, look, justice is going to be served. You are not going to get taken advantage of or ripped off. But to those who are leading into captivity, they need to know captivity waits for them. Those who are killing, they will be killed in the same fashion. God is a God of justice 
He would rather show grace and mercy. But when grace and mercy is rejected, then justice is all that remains. And so this is, again, a word of warning to those doing the damage, chasing after the saints, going after Israel. But it is an encouragement to those believers and those of Israel to say, hey, God's in charge and God will show justice upon all. All right. Verse 11. It says, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth who had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who is wounded by the sword and lived. And he granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast would both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except those who, had the, who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Now the second beast that's mentioned here in chapter 13, uh, we also see some differences and some important similarities. Uh, The same words used, right? There was a beast that's described to us at the beginning of the chapter, and now another beast Uh, One is of the sea or comes up out of the sea, and one comes up out of the earth. Uh, Again, beast isn't the name. It's referring to the character, the nature, and the motive. And so that's why the similarity between the two that we see. The first beast looks deadly, terrifying, dangerous. However, the second one, looks meek and peaceful like a lamb. But we're told the truth is he is terrifying and dangerous. Speaks like a dragon. This is the false prophet. This is the the last part of the unholy trinity of the devil, the antichrist, and the false prophet. And this guy, again, this is a person, but he is demonically empowered. And he will come on the scene, and he's going to be the one seeming to give credit to the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be more of a political leader. This guy is going to be the religious leader. He's going to bring about this religious system worldwide. So you've got a political system worldwide now, one world government, and now you're going to have this one world religion that this guy is going to be... Uh, running or in charge of. And he deceives all of the people on the earth by signs and wonders. 
Now, this is kind of one of those questions. Is he performing actual miracles? Or are they just appearing? Are they lying wonders? Do they just appear to be miracles? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's a supernatural event. He's not empowered by God. Uh, The enemy can do things and, and can make things look impressive for sure. But it's important we know that these just aren't card tricks, right? He's not getting people's attention with small little things. Pick a card. Let me show you all my power. He's calling down fire from heaven. It's pretty impressive what he's doing. He may even play a role in the Antichrist seeming to come back from the dead. Again, only assumption in that. We don't know. But people are going to see these signs and wonders that this guy does, and they're going to believe them. Again, I don't find it hard to believe. Now, you can talk to a lot of people, and they're like, oh man, if I saw a miracle, then I'd, I'd believe that's real power. Or if I was in, you know, saw these things happen. And they're not even necessarily talking about God. they just the supernatural. If I saw a ghost, if I saw a demon, if I saw anything, then I'd believe in the supernatural. Well, this guy's going to come on the scene and go, I'll show you a sign. I'll show you a miracle. You want to see something amazing? Watch what I can do. And, and just that power, and again, it's going to seem like, like some sort of superhero in the things that he does. People are going to flock to him because of his power, because of these signs and wonders, and that he's somehow he has to be in the presence of the Antichrist to do them. He mentions that twice here, that he has to be in the presence of the Antichrist in order to do these signs and wonders. And so these guys become a team, and, and he knows that if he leaves, he's got nothing. So he's staying close to the Antichrist, and he deceives all of those that dwell on the earth, is what verse 14 says. Now again, this is a twisted, sad thing that's happening in humanity during the tribulation. This is so much of... A, I think a picture of the way the devil does things because it's an absolute counterfeit to the reality. See, the real Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in their relationship, there's this beautiful equality that all equal in power, all equal in knowledge, but there's still this line of authority that we see within the Trinity. And so... The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. That's his job. Whether through signs and wonders or miracles or any gifts of the Holy Spirit, their point is to point to Jesus. If they don't, I wouldn't give them any credit at all. And that's important, especially in our day and age. A lot of people are very focused on signs and wonders in the church very focused on signs and wonders and the supernatural within the church and what it should look like. If it's not pointing to Jesus, I don't care. Because that's the only thing the Holy Spirit is interested in. He, is to, he wants to point everybody to Jesus. And Jesus talked about that, that he's not going to speak on his own authority. He's going to remind you of me. He's going to bring to mind the things that I have spoken. Now, in the same way, Jesus points to the Father, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't do anything that my Father doesn't do, right? You want to know what his character's like? You want to know what his personality's like? Just look at me. 
But it, again, it's always pointing to the Father. The ripoff, the counterfeit, has stolen that same idea. The false prophet points everybody to the Antichrist. The Antichrist points everyone to the devil. And people worship all three. Now, verse 14 says that the false prophet will tell everyone to make an image of the beast that was wounded, the Antichrist. Um, and, and this is one of the things that it, maybe this image that's created is actually placed in the temple there in Jerusalem. This may be the blasphemy that takes place or the, the abomination which causes desolation is the Antichrist, but what he does there might be placing this image. And this is a whole lot more than a statue. It says that power is granted to give breath to the image of the beast. And again, this is one of those things for years and generations, people went, this is crazy. They're picturing a statue that, that would be breathed upon and would come to life and, and somehow know what everyone was doing in the whole world. That if people weren't bowing down and worshiping this image, that the image would know. And they're like, this is in, crazy. This is impossible. How could this happen? We call it artificial intelligence. <laughs> in our generation, this isn't hard to believe at all. Hey, Siri. <laughs> Siri's listening, you know, and this is going to be beyond that. So a lot of people go, well, you know, is the, the symbol on the back of a milk carton, the, the barcode, is that the mark of the beast? Or is this the mark of the beast? Or is that possibly a technology that will become the, this image? I think they're all laying the foundation. None of them are it. But they're all a progress toward that ultimate goal. The idea that this is even going to go beyond um, artificial intelligence. Because there's a lot of talk right now about possibilities of AI, right? And it's not just because it's an interesting topic in sci-fi movies. That's been around for a long time. It's because they're starting to realize it's possible that an AI could become self-aware. Maybe that's what's happening here. Again, we don't know. But it's it's crazy to me to think that the possibility of it has never existed until now. And we don't have any problem wondering, well, how would it know about every individual worldwide? Between phones and computers and watches and everything else, yeah, every individual, even now, <laughs> like I said, serious listening. Those crazy things that, it's a little bit of a sidetrack here. I want to jump into like conspiracy theories, but it's gotten so bad that anytime you say anything like, oh, yeah, you know, I think I might like to buy a pet anteater. And then you pull up Facebook, buy a pet anteater. What? How did it know? Right? That whatever you're interested in, whatever you say out loud, no matter how random, it's suddenly in your Amazon feed and your Facebook feed and all these other things. That's how the technology works. I agree, Austin. There's some great information out there, and it is how the, the technology works. But again, that's not to dismiss or somehow bring this supernatural event down to a plane that we're like, oh, well, that explains it. 
this is still a supernatural event. This is going to be something that takes place fully empowered by the devil himself. But the fact that we can look at these things and go, it makes sense today. It wouldn't have made sense 40 years ago. That's not that long. Now, like every false prophet throughout history, at some point, there is a financial angle. At some point, there is a give me your money. And that is just as true in the end as it's always been. That the Antichrist and the false prophet will bring together not only a one world government, one world religion, but a one world economy. Verse 16 says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And that will be the only choice you get. Not you, them, in that day, will all be gone. But in that day, it will be the only choice people get, on your hand or on your forehead. What would you prefer? Again, this was something for generations people went, that's impossible. Just looking at the structure of economy and countries and and the way everything works, there's no way that someone in China can buy a product and it's instantly known worldwide. It is now. It's pretty easy. All this infrastructure is there and available. Uh, Again, people make guesses, scanner codes, UV tattoos, all those things. Um, Whatever it might be, whatever it's going to be, it will not allow people to buy or sell without it. This is going to be that clincher that mankind has been on this place where in the tribulation of having to make a choice of are you for Jesus or against Jesus? And it's been a pretty clearly defined line. But this mark, there's going to be something that there's no returning from. And then when somebody chooses this mark, they are pledging their allegiance to the beast and to the dragon. And once they get it, there is no saving them again. And it's not because, and we'll get more into this later, it's not because God turns their back on them. It's that once they get it, they aren't going to have any want or desire to repent. Now the number, again, this is a big question. People, uh, a lot of confusion about this. In verse 18 it says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. People have turned this into a real confusing mess um, because Western culture doesn't look at numbers the same as the Hebrew and Greek culture and Roman culture. Uh, in, in those cultures, numbers have meaning. They have great significance in their writing, and they can just be a number, but when they're used in a certain context, they have a meaning to them. Okay? And we've talked a little bit about that. Um, people have looked at this number like it's somehow the, evil, a number, the number itself is evil, or the number somehow has evil powers. It simply means the number of man. Six is really the number of man. Um, we've talked about the number three is the number of perfection. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Is God perfect, right? 
Absolute perfection. The number seven is the number of completeness. Seven days in a week is an example. Right? The number six is less than seven. I know this is math. It's all right. You guys just try and keep up with me. Six is less than seven. It is not complete. It is incomplete. And so if you have three sixes, you have perfect incompleteness, perfect fallen, perfectly broken. And that's why that is the number of the beast. He is perfectly incomplete and fallen. Right? Again, there's nothing magic about the number. And even the number itself is not going to be three sixes printed on somebody's head or four or on their hand. Because John says this requires wisdom. Let him calculate. So there's, some, there's work that has to be done. Whatever that mark is going to be, it takes some work to figure out, yeah, that's the number of the Antichrist. Right? Again, we don't know. But it's a little hint that John throws out there to say that whatever it is, if, to the person with wisdom, you can figure out that, in fact, is the mark which reveals how dangerous taking this number really is. Here in chapter 13, we see, I think, a great contrast between the truth and a lie. The reality and the counterfeit, right? Even when it comes to the true trinity and the unholy trinity, that there's this great contrast. Um, and it reminded me of something that John says in 1 John chapter 4. Because again, we can look at these things and we can go, well, this is all interesting, but we're not in the tribulation, and I don't think we're going to see the tribulation. So how is any of this applicable to us? I'm not going to worry about the Antichrist. That's going to be somebody else's problem. You know, we're going to be in heaven. But John says this in 1 John chapter 4, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is already in the world. John's point there is, there is, yes, there is an event, there is a person who will be the Antichrist. But the attitude of Antichrist is already in existence. Amen. We're already facing it in our day and age. And the idea that the reality of what God has for us, the enemy has a counterfeit to match it. And we need to use wisdom. We need to have our eyes open and focused on Jesus. And again, I want to make it clear. Our job is not to be looking for a demon behind every bush, looking for the Antichrist at every crossroads. Our job is to be looking at Jesus, the reality, the, the truth, the way, the life. When our focus is upon him and getting to know him better, then the counterfeit becomes obvious, right? And a lot of times it's not that that we fully understand why it doesn't work. I've talked about this before, that I feel like the relationship the Holy Spirit and I have, it's like playing red light, green light. 
And that something will come along, an idea, or somebody will go, hey, well, I had this great idea about this, or I think maybe Jesus was talking about these things, and they just throw out this idea. And, and all of a sudden, I just get red light. And I can't quote a verse. I can't necessarily debate with them about it or why that's wrong. I just get the sense of, like, wrong. There's something very wrong there. And I need to think about why. I need to pray about why. I need to do some study. There's something that's hitting wrong. And I believe that for us as believers, even though we're not facing the Antichrist, we're facing the spirit of it. And we need to be listening to that red light, green light. When the Holy Spirit just goes, that's not for you. Don't listen to that. There's a counterfeit spirit about that thing that just was said or that you heard. And we need to be discerning and listen and go, okay, Lord, that's all I need to know. And be those who are so desiring, looking for the reality and the truth of Jesus. And it, it's, it's an awesome thing. Forgiveness and peace and love in Jesus Christ are all found for us at the cross. And it is free to all, but we also know that it comes with a cost to us personally. Right? That when we come to Christ... Yes, salvation is made available to us because he paid the full price. But living for Jesus Christ has a cost. It requires us, first of all, to admit we were wrong. We, can't, we have no desire to go to the cross if we don't believe we were wrong. Right. Have you ever talked to somebody and said, hey, man, you need to get saved? And they're like, saved from what? I'm fine. Well, until we understand our need, then there's no reason to go looking for Christ to fill it. Right? So at first, we need to admit that we're wrong. It, it requires us to be humble and to give our lives to the one that gave his life for us. Um, now, this is going to be even more true for those in the tribulation. Living for Jesus in the tribu tribulation has a great cost. Most of them will lose their lives for it. And that happens today. It happens in other parts of the world where people still lose their life because they will not deny Jesus' name. But in the tribulation, it will be worldwide. For us, again, for in this day and age, the life that we're living, man, we need to be seeking after the truth of God, no matter the cost. For us, it's pretty small in comparison to those in the tribulation, but there's still going to be a cost then we take that stand and go, you know, that's not what the Bible says. Or, or people will come up with crazy ideas about Jesus and go, no, that's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not my Jesus. And take, just taking that stand, sometimes we can face persecution or difficulty. It's still worth it. Everything that he has done for us, it's the least we can do in response to him. And so my prayer is that through this week, we will just have opportunity to just live out loud for Jesus. That doesn't mean be annoying. It doesn't mean cornering people, but just being honest about, hey, I'm in love with Jesus. And I'm not afraid of what that might cost me. Because it's always worth it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.